This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Northern Irish domestic football returns very, very soon. And the man who joins me today is, for me, the voice of Northern Irish football. He is Michael Clark. He's the host of The Score in Northern Ireland and regularly commentates on domestic Northern Irish football and the national team as well. Michael, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for such a lovely introduction. I probably owe you a few quid already. <laughs> in terms of Northern Irish football, the clubs, um, a few clubs, it's safe to say, have been playing in Europe this summer. Um, just how excited are you, though, to, to get domestic football back? It means everything, I think, to our fans in Northern Ireland to get the local game back and running. And what's been quite nice is that everybody, more or less, has been supporting the teams that have been in Europe. Now, granted, maybe Linfield fans weren't favouring Glentoran and vice versa, but setting aside rivalries, that was the case for the most part. But... You know, March, we were attending games and hoping that they would continue. Obviously, it wasn't safe to do so. So they had to bring the league to a premature close. And then points per game decided that Linfield were champions. And for many people now, they want to get out on a pitch. And Linfield players want to prove that they're the best team in the country and were deserving of that honour. And Corain, who were just four points behind them with seven games to go, probably think they were robbed of a chance of being champions last season. Let's get a new season started. Let's go and try and win this. And um, obviously, the question mark at the minute, Callum, is how many fans are going to be allowed in, and that's going to vary depending on which team you support and which ground you're going to. But um, yeah, it'll be good to be back. Absolutely. Domestic football, as, as you say, especially in countries like Northern Ireland and in Scotland, it just means so much to everyone across the pyramid. And, and in terms of the, the clubs in Europe this summer, I'd like to ask you about Coleraine and Linfield. Now, the reason I mentioned those two clubs in particular is because you mentioned the fact that Coleraine would have felt that with the season being curtailed, if it wasn't, they had a real chance of winning the title. And and you look at the momentum they've got at the moment, you would have to say that in Europe this this summer, they, they've performed better than Linfield. They, they beat Maribor in one of the most dramatic games I'm sure you've seen in a long time. And, and they took Mullerwell on as well, whereas Linfield obviously lost to Ligia Warsaw, which Celtic over here in Scotland have in recent years. So that's no shame, but I think they will be disappointed by, by the loss to, to Floriana. Yeah, I commentated on the Floriana game and Linfield were way, way, way under par in that one. And it was a shocking result. And I know a lot of people were saying it's effectively a pre-season and, you know, how fit are the players? But Floriana were in a very similar position. Um, they'd gone out for a bit of a pre-season in Italy, but I don't think they had much more time to prepare. Um, certainly had fewer competitive games. So that was a game Linfield fans were thinking they could win. And then, you know, can we get into the next round, play Flora? And then you'll worry about Dynamo Zagreb if and when that happens. But it wasn't to be. They they didn't show up. They still had some brilliant chances, it must be said. I mean, Bastianeri from about 10 yards with a goal at his mercy puts it wide. And when things like that happen and, you know, there's crosses flashing in and bodies are thrown into the box and they're never connecting with those balls into the middle, 
you start to think they could play all night and they'll never score. And ultimately that was the case for Linfield. So they underwhelmed, underdelivered, and David Healy afterwards was very, very honest about how flat his team's performance was. And I don't think they'll get away with doing that again too many times this season under him. Um, but Corian, I felt so, so sorry for them because Trevor Carson, who we know very well, obviously in Northern Ireland, and he's um, one of the keepers in our international squad at the moment, uh, getting ready for the Bosnia game. But he pulled off three wonder saves in the penalty shootout against Motherwell um, for them to progress. And they just, it was a bit like when Oren Kearney was at St Mirren, and he, or yeah, yeah, sorry, when he was over in Scotland. Everybody just said that about his teams all the time, didn't they? They, they just didn't know when to quit. They never died. And it's the same as he brings to Corian. He is a tremendous manager, and it doesn't surprise me that they play well when he's at the helm. Absolutely. He's a manager who I feel, and still do, uh, an old friend of the show, Grant Campbell, who who spoke to you um, a while ago and actually introduced me to your work. Um, well, we'll concur that in Scotland, he's, he's, he's underrated by, by many people. And I think when you look at the resources he had at St Mirren, he, he, he did the job that was expected of him. And personally, I'd like to see him back in Scotland in the future, but... There's no doubting that he's got Coleraine playing well and, and progressing. And in terms of this season, do you see it being a, a, a straight battle between Linfield and Coleraine again? Or do you think Crusaders, Cliftonville, Glentor and Larne, can any of those clubs realistically dare to dream? Yeah, I think it'll be quite an open league. And what will be fascinating for all of us is to see what way the teams start with everything that's gone on. It's very hard to predict. I mean, you just have to look at Manchester United and Liverpool at the weekend to say football at the minute's kind of on its head. I mean, Everton are daring to dream in the Premier League, so I don't think you can rule out too many teams uh, at this stage. But the, the Danske Bank Premiership, the top half of that table, it's a 12-team league, the, the six teams in the top half, you know, all will feel like they have a shout, Lauren will maybe tell you, well, they will tell you that they're the outsiders still, but they've they've come on leaps and bounds, obviously, with Kenny Bruce's help and investment there and the way the club's being run. Um, it's an exciting time to be an Irish League fan, and I think it's the one thing I still haven't gotten over about uh, you know the past season is it feels like we were deprived of one of the great ends to a league season. Linfield were first 69 points, Corian were second and 65 Crusaders at 59, Cliftonville at 59, Glentoran at 58, Larne at 56. I mean, how do you carve up the rest of those places, even if you say Linfield and Corian probably are your one and two? So they've all added players. Goodness knows. And in terms of Linfield in, in particular, obviously in, in Scotland, across the UK, and even in Europe, Linfield are a club that, that are well known. That they, they've, they've played European competitions. David Healy, of course, as, as the manager, is very well known. He's, he's an icon of, of Northern Irish football. What is he like as a, as a manager? What, what's his style of play like? And, and how's he been received by, by, the, by the observers of the game in Northern Ireland? It's kind of gone in stages, actually. It's been very interesting to watch him become more and more David Healy Linfield manager. And by that, I mean everyone in Northern Ireland that followed Northern Ireland adored him because he's the country's record goal scorer. So clearly he's given us so many magical moments and how many times can we bring up that goal against England or the hat-trick against Spain. But when you become the Linfield manager, if, if you're one of Linfield's rival clubs and they've got a few, um, people don't feel as warmly to you as they maybe used to do. And it'd be like taking over Celtic or Rangers right away. 
that's going to, you know, separate some supporters that maybe used to follow you if you were a legend for the Scottish national side. So it's much the same way. When he took over initially in terms of how people judged him, I think a lot of people underestimated how good he was going to be. David is one of the most determined people I've met, and he's very, very steely and focused on match days. He's, he's almost two characters. When I think he was a bit like this as a player. When it's game day, you don't want to mess with him. Outside of that, he's a jovial character, but on game day, he, he really is focused, and uh, if they've had a bad day at the office, don't expect him to come out laughing and joking in the press conference afterwards, but nor would you expect him to. He is so self-critical and so determined to be successful in his career and be successful with his club. Absolutely, and and, and he's, he's someone who I think it's it's safe to say because of his reputation, all eyes really are on David Healy, and, and if he yeah. continues to have that success, is he someone that you can see being a future Northern Ireland manager? I think it's definitely on the cards at some stage. He's definitely going to be a candidate one day because... It's already been brought up, you know, when people were talking about who could replace Michael O'Neill, his name was appearing in papers, and that's a compliment to how well he's done so far with Linfield and the fact that he's been successful and won trophies. Um, it'd be interesting to see now in the next few years whether he decides to stay at Linfield, whether there'll be an opportunity to go across the water, um, what his next move might be. I think he's certainly good enough to progress in his career if and when the time comes. And when you look at the, the table, we, we as you say, if we expect Linfield and Coleraine to, to really be the, the top two, but again, it's not can't take that for granted. If we expect them to be the top two, it's, it's just going to be fascinating in terms of the other places, as we've talked about. The race for Europe and, and the league is always always a, a joy to behold when you consider how tight it was when, when things ended last season. In terms of the teams we mentioned earlier, in Crusaders, Cliftonville, Glentoran and Larne, from speaking to Grant quite a lot, I get the sense that he he thinks Larn could be dark horses to surprise quite a few this season. Larn definitely could be, and they'll be happy as long as anyone considers them dark horses. I don't think they'll be considered that for for many more years to come. And but you know they're they're turnaround from a team that was in a difficult period in its history. You know, only a couple of years ago, got investment and gets promotion, and then uh, breaks into the top half and had the season not finished. You know, they easily could have potentially finished third in the league, which would have been absolutely remarkable. So they definitely deserve serious consideration. Um, the, the other team people will be talking about for the title, of course, is Glen Torin, because it's been well documented, the investment that's been made in that club. And they've brought in a lot of very good players. Um, Jamie McDonough's come in from Derry City. Luke McCulloch's come in from Tranmere. Dale Gorman, um, who was at Leighton Orient. Uh, Newcastle fans will remember Bigarama. He's at the Glens now. And um, they've got the Gibraltar international number one goalkeeper, Dale Colling, between the posts. So uh, they're taking things very seriously. And just as crucially, they've tied up a few of their uh, star players to new contracts, such as Robbie McDade. So their fans will be very, very excited. They've won the Irish Cup uh, most recently there. And they'll now be looking at uh, bigger prizes and trying to take home the Gibson Cup, the league title. In terms of Glen Torin, one of the things I want to get your perspective on is there were a couple a couple of moves um, over the summer, um, Connor Pepper being one of them who swapped Glen Torin for Linfield. Has the fact that there's no fans in, in grounds and, and the fact that things are restricted tempered the reaction to that or has the reaction been as you would expect? Um, thank goodness for Twitter. We know exactly how everybody feels. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's what I would say there. Thank goodness for Twitter, uh, with tongue firmly placed in cheek. Yeah, look, when uh, you move across town, as it were, and Navin Naziri did the same thing, it's going to make a lot of people very unhappy, and it did. And Connor has spoken about it uh, recently, and he's saying, look, for him, it's just about what he feels is taking the next step in his career and trying to push on. Obviously, um, he played football in, in Scotland and he's maybe looking at, is there a chance for him to get another move at some stage? And Linfield, as you say, are very uh, well-known club um, in the UK and maybe that's the chance for him. And he was looking at European football as a stage and all these sorts of things. So Glentoran fans won't thank me for this because absolutely they could be in that same position this season, you know, I think that there'll be title challengers and then in Europe and um, going further in Europe and performing better in Europe than what they did this time around. So maybe some people will think, well, should he not have hung on? But it's a personal decision and uh, far be it for me to tell him what to do in his life. But um, certainly, if you're wanting to know, did it go down like a lead balloon? It most certainly did. <laughs> As, as it comes to football, obviously been based in Scotland, the tribal nature never fails to amaze you. Um, and even even in a time of restrictions and, and lockdown, it just always always pops up. I hope that there is, you know, by the time we get to Christmas, and I, I, I say this obviously with optimism, and you know, you want there to be as many fans as possible. And if that's safe, that we can gradually increase fan numbers and get to a stage where at Christmas we can have a bigger crowd again than maybe what we're expecting, you know, a few hundred in the first few weeks. Um, who knows what way it'll go, but Boxing Day traditionally, are it's a time of year where uh, we get derbies. That's what happens in our football calendar. We get the big derbies and Linfield and Glentoran referred to as the big two take turns at hosting each other on Boxing Day. And that atmosphere is always something special. It, it is. I've been fortunate to commentate on it a number of times and there's always a bumper crowd because of the festive period in general. People are home from wherever they've been. And maybe this year we don't need to worry about people being uh, traveling back from as far reached places. But nonetheless, um, that would be a good indicator as to how everybody feels if you get a bumper crowd in and uh, he takes a touch of the ball. I would imagine there will be a, a few supporters making their thoughts heard. <laughs> more, more than just a few, I imagine. Absolutely. And <laughs> We've talked about the, the Coleraine, we've talked about Linfield, um, we've talked about Glen Torin investing as well. Below the sides that we've talked about so far, you've got Glenavon, Carrick Rangers, Dunnigan Swifts, Balamina United. Are they hoping really for, for much better seasons? Because when you when you think about last season, compared to, to the to the European chasing sides in, in the top two, they were quite a bit behind. I don't see that changing. I really don't. And it's just... Uh, here comes a cynical statement. If you were to put down how much each club spends on their wage bill, the table isn't going to deviate too drastically from that. And that is pretty much what we're going to see. The The club that deserves credit, and I, I will sort of flag my bias here because I am a Carrick Fergus man and it's my you know hometown team, but Carrick Rangers finished eighth last season and a lot of people were talking about them as relegation candidates. Niall Curry's done a great job. He's just been rewarded with a new contract with the club as well. Um, and I don't know that they'll be able to do better than eighth, not to take away from um, how well they did, but I think that's just 
a sign of how well they have done that um, Niall Curry, who was a man coming into the club trying to make a point because he'd taken over his hometown team previous to that, Porter Down, who are now back in the top flight. But when they were in uh, the championship, he went there, thought this was going to be brilliant for him, and it just sadly didn't work out. And it was unfortunate to see, but... Um, it led to him going to Carrick Rangers. So if I'm allowed to be a little bit biased for, for two seconds here, um, I was delighted to see him to come to Carrick Rangers. And I I think he even surprised himself how well he was able to get those players to perform last season. Um, with regards to the rest of the teams, Balamini United um, were 10th, which is just ridiculous. You know, that for them, in terms of one season they're pushing for the title and the next season they fall away tremendously. And what I would say is probably they overachieved and then they drastically underachieved. They should be somewhere in the middle and they'll be looking to get back up there. Uh, they've just signed Shane McCartan, who uh, is a very interesting prospect for them. Two caps for Northern Ireland, uh, attacking player, had played at Bradford among clubs. Uh, so will he be able to help uh, with a goal return, they'll be hoping so because uh, their big goal threat, Adam Leckie, has left for Belfast Club Crusaders. So um, they need goals from somewhere. Shane McCartan looks a, a very good signing in times when uh, not everybody's speculating to accumulate, but Balamina clearly have there. Towards the bottom, and, and again, I don't want to pigeonhole these teams. Um, Warren Point were, were quite close last season. They, they, they were 11th. Um, they survived, which was which was great to see. If you're a fan of them, and and you mentioned Portadown, a club with with unique history within Northern Irish football, returning to the top flight, would they go into the season? Is it fair to say they would be favourites to go down, or do you think Portadown and Matthew Tipton can surprise quite a few? Matthew probably wants me to tell you their favourites to go down. <laughs> it sounds back to front, but he, I think knowing Matthew, he would happily take that now, that tag, so that anything else, you know, the pressure's off. They're already condemning us for relegation. But I don't know that they will be relegated. They're, as you say, a club with a lot of history. Um, I've been fortunate to host awards dinners for them. I was hoping to do their most recent one, and obviously with everything going on, um, that wasn't possible for any of us. Um, and it would have been special because we'd had a couple of near misses in terms of them trying to get back to the big time the year that they finally do. And, you know, um, it's sort of private parties and <laughs> let's all meet up on Zoom and talk about it. And um, I would have loved to have stolen a wee bit of that atmosphere and just shared in their moment because I know how hard everybody worked for it. And I was in the room with Matthew um, the year prior in their awards ceremony when they were handing out their players of the year and all the rest of it. And he said, in front of a room full of people, if I don't get you promoted this season, then I understand if you'd sack me. And I thought, are you mad? I mean, yes, that's the expectation, but imagine saying it in front of hundreds of witnesses. <laughs> uh, but he did it. So, you know, give the man his dues. I think he's good enough, and I think they're good enough to stay up. Um, and there'll be a tussle between Portadown and Warren Point for those places. I think Dungana Swifts, unfortunately, could get drawn into it. Chris Lindsay's working on a very small budget and he's working with a very young squad and um, really likeable guy. I spoke to Chris the other day and um, I get the feeling that uh, it could be a difficult season for them with what they're operating with. Um, but Dungannon, I think every season people go, is this the year Dungannon will get dragged into that dogfight and then they somehow scrap their way back out of it? So, so who knows? But um, I, I have to think at the moment, Warren Point could be the team um, that uh, they could finish bottom. And I don't want to, 
I don't want to say that for anybody. Sorry for Barry Gray if he decides to listen to this, but um, there's your team talk. I suppose uh, Clark's written us off already. On Warren Point, one of the, the players I, I want to mention is, is someone who, who I was really interested in, in watching this player's progress. They've signed Matthew Knox, and the reason Matthew Knox is an interesting player is when he was a kid at Livingston, there was talk he was on trial at Manchester United, he was on trial at Rangers, Liverpool. All the big sides in Scotland and England seem to be interested in, in taking him on and, and really giving him the opportunity to, to develop but it's not quite worked out for him. And I'm sure he would admit that himself. He's still very young. He's only 20, but he's went from being linked with those massive clubs and having trials with them to having a few patchy loan spells, it's fair to say, in Scotland. And now he's joined Warren Point. It'll be interesting to see how he progresses. What's the reaction been to Matthew joining Warren Point? Well, I think they're very pleased uh, to get him. But um, look, this is, it's not an easy league. Um, we've seen very well-known players come here. Nacho Novo came to the Irish League and struggled. So it's not a given for anybody that uh, they can walk into this uh, division and have an easy time of it. However, what I will say is that the league has proven to be a great platform for players, whether that's people coming here to try and re-establish themselves or people from here using it as a launching pad to, to get a move across the water. Um, and we've seen lots of examples of that recently. Joel Cooper um, leaving Linfield for Oxford. Oxford United have definitely been doing their scouting on uh, the Danske Bank Premiership, having uh, previously signed Gavin White, who's uh, now moved on to Cardiff, and Mark Sykes too. But I think for Matthew, look, there's an opportunity here under Barry Gray to get game time. And it's, it's like anything, it's a fresh start. So go in, clean slate, and show people why you were linked with the clubs you were linked with. Um, and they, they've made quite a lot of changes this season, War on Point, and they probably had to for various reasons. But look, if he's, uh, if he's good enough, he'll get game time, and, and hopefully he's able to use that opportunity then to... Um, do whatever he wants to do, whether that's come back to Scotland or or attract English clubs, because there's plenty of eyes on this league, and there'll probably be more opportunities for people outside of Northern Ireland to watch it, because there's rumours of um, streaming deals and things like that with limited crowd numbers, so if that's the case then uh, you might actually be able to watch more live action as opposed to just highlights and the odd TV game, so um, grasp it with both hands, young man, and, and go for it. And in terms of players to watch within the league, I think it's it's safe to say that you you'll agree with me on this. I think there's always been a sort of snobbery from 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 certain sides in the UK, and and that's you could say down south. Sometimes there's that attitude towards Scottish football. I definitely think you you still get an element within Scotland that that sort of look down and on, on the Northern Irish football and the League of Ireland as well. And and for me, it's completely misplaced because if you look at some of the success stories in recent years from both divisions and, and the, the money that they, they, they moved across the water for, absolute bargains to be had. And, and crucially, I hope, uh, similar for, for Northern Irish football, the way it's went for Scottish football, that prices can be ramped up for the quality that's in the division because I'm very passionate that if, if a player is good enough, then the buying club has to pay the going rate. And I hope that that, that, can, that can be showcased in Northern Irish football as well as Scottish football because... People talk about the gulf between English football and the rest, but if there's quality there, then I think clubs should be paying the top dollar that they, they would pay in other leagues. 
Yeah, 100%. I mean, I'm not sure if anybody's heard of a fella called Stuart Dallas. He's pretty good. Um, <laughs> he played Crusaders and, you know, and has worked his way up, obviously uh, doing tremendous things under Bielsa at Leeds. And uh, I was quite um, impressed, you know, with everybody's analysis of him. I was watching Match of the Day 2 last week and, and they did a breakdown of just how important he is for Leeds. And Leeds fans listening to this will go, tell us something we don't know. But now, because obviously they're in the Premiership, they're going to get even more attention than what they did in the Championship. And um, and Leeds have a big fan base anyway. But people are now concentrating, how, how is Bielsa doing this? And, and Stuart Dallas is one of those quiet but very, very effective players who is a mainstay in the Northern Ireland team. And Michael O'Neill um, really, really depended on him. And I'm sure Ian Barraclough will as well. Um, so th- this league produces amazing players and I think sometimes we're our own worst enemies and in Northern Ireland that you know you don't realize how good you've got it and you see you see boys turn out for your club and and put in superb performances but you think ah but they're only doing it here and you don't realize how that translates and how the, the maybe the the gap in quality isn't always as big as what you might think um and the one sort of explainer I always use or the example I use for that is I remember watching Gavin White play against Spain's under-21s for Northern Ireland under-21s at Portadown on a mucky pitch in a game that ended up 5-3. And the left-back was the starting left-back for Espanyol. And he tore him a new one, to use a nice colloquial phrase. He, he just twisted him inside and out, had a wonderful game. And then I was going, this fella that was marking Leno Messi can't mark the Crusaders winger. Okay, that's interesting. And then Gavin obviously uh, kicks on in his career. And there's loads of examples of that. I mean, um, and you know, there's players that are in the league that had they been scouted sooner or had different things maybe happened in life would have been across the water. One who's very settled here and he has a business here and you know he'll, he'll not move at this stage is Paul Heatley. Um, Paul Heatley is a joy to watch. And I think any time that... Um, <laughs> I, I can barely keep up with it. Tonics tea cake. What the heck is it sponsored by this year? Cup that we all decided to do. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know the name of it, but seriously, when he's uh, when he's been playing for Crusaders and that, maybe a few Scottish fans, a few Scottish players have, have gone, oh, hold on here. And I know Michael O'Neill said to me, you know, had had he had been spotted a bit sooner, maybe. But um, circumstances, I think he was always happy to stay at home. But the league is full of quality throughout the different clubs. And um, I think only now is it starting to get the recognition it deserves. And that's because we've had a few players go across the water and do well recently. In terms of managers, we've talked about David Healy. We've talked also about um, Oren Kearney, both very well known here in Scotland and, and, and across across the UK. Who are the other managers that maybe don't get the, maybe the headlines over here that maybe they should? Yeah, Um well, Crusaders are managed by Stephen Baxter, who is, uh, you know, he, he's a guy that's done it all with them. A former player who um, suffered relegation when he uh, was first at the club as manager and um, was able to bring them back up. I say first at the club, I mean, at the very beginning of his reign, he, he never left. Um, he was able to get them up and then has, has led them to titles and, and made them perennial challengers at the very least. Stephen is... Uh, a really, really good guy who um, I just think he's very honest with his players, sets very high standards, and I've always enjoyed my interactions with him. Um, and I think 
as long as he's in charge, you'll never get a team that falls away. He just he isn't afraid to be ruthless, but he's still very loyal. And you'll see that there are players that um, will stay with him for a long period of time because um, he's always pretty good with his recruitment, um, or has been certainly down the years. With Cliftonville, like Paddy McLaughlin, who uh, was at Institute, and um, Paddy did wonderful things with Institute in a very difficult time in the club. Uh, their history, their ground was flooded. They had to move out of it. They'll probably never move back to it, sadly. And they're in a ground share at the moment with Derry City from the League of Ireland, who um, uh, basically are from the same city as them. So geographically, not too difficult for them. They just play in the uh, the other national league, the one for the Republic of Ireland. But um, he has, uh, you know, managed to get that institute team up and playing wonderful football to the point where people were going. I wonder, can he do that for us? And that's exactly what Cliftonville were looking for when they brought him in. And uh, he's not afraid to believe in young players and he brings an exciting brand of football. And he's been able to navigate challenges um, along the way too, because they have a very, very vocal fan base, um, high expectations, because you know a couple of decades ago, Cliftonville wouldn't have been a team that were in the title talks too often. Um, although they did do it once, um, sort of towards the millennium, but uh, in more recent times, they've won a couple of league titles and now people look at them as a team that should really be back up there again. So he, he came into a club with a lot higher expectations than the one he previously managed. And a fourth place finish is very respectable for him. And um, be interesting to see if he can kick on and move them even higher up. I think he's a manager that could uh, could attract other clubs' attention down the, down the line because he just strikes me as a very ambitious character. A uh, very, very driven guy. And um, yeah, I don't think he'll be at Cliftonville all his life. And I don't mean that in any disrespect to them, but I think he's someone that will be uh, looking at some stage for what the next step is. Uh, maybe he gets out with the Glen Torren boss, Mick McDermott, uh, worked with Carlos Quiroz. Um, not a bad name to have in your phone book, I suppose, uh, an international level and um, came into this project, as he called it, with Glen Torren with aspirations of reawakening the sleeping giants he's certainly done that he's ruffled a few feathers i think he'll ruffle a few more and um i'd be interested to see what his next chapter is uh lauren they're managed by tiernan lynch who um is a i have to say actually it was probably the most poignant moment of my season um was t interviewing tiernan after uh, a player uh, tragically had passed away and um someone that i knew very well and uh Tiernan fronted up and talked about it on TV. Um, and he, for me, is uh, a very, very decent guy and a guy who probably out of all the other managers is, he doesn't get the respect he deserves because I think people thought, well, Lauren, look at how well Lauren are doing now. Who are they going to replace him with to match their ambitions? And they were, it was almost as if, well, obviously they'll fob this fella off, but they've, the players love him and the board love him. And, uh, you know, it makes total sense why? Because he's done a really, really good job with them. And, um, you know, I, I hope that he's there for another period of time. Um, when you go into the bottom half of the table, I would say the biggest character outside of uh, all the people I've mentioned, the biggest character is David Jeffrey. And David Jeffrey is the most famous football manager in Northern Ireland, and even including David Healy. David Jeffrey is the most famous. And he managed Linfield for a long, long period of time. Um, won a ridiculous amount of titles with them and um, is now Balamina's longest uh, reigning manager. 
but David is a guy who has the respect of every single manager in the league and uh, not just because he at one point was their manager too. Um, he's a, a very big character, lovable guy and uh, he's actually, he is a big character, Callum. I gave him a lift one Christmas. He was in my car when I was uh, driving at the time a little Fiesta and uh, he was about 70% of what was in the front of the car. <laughs> I'm, not saying, I'm not saying you're heavy, David. I'm just saying he's a big, tall man with a big frame. And uh, he just looks like a fella you'd never mess with. But he's a heart of gold. And uh, I have a lot of time for him too. So many characters and, and so many historic clubs in Northern Irish football as well that, that for me just makes the product exactly what it is. And to talk about your career, Michael, you, you host the score as well as doing the commentary. You clearly have incredible passion for Northern Irish football. That's came through throughout this interview. Just how much do you enjoy both of those roles? Because they are very different, let's be honest. Yeah, I think people for years have always tried to find a pigeonhole to put me into, and I, I never quite fit. Um, I just, I think all my notes in school always said talks too much. And I thought, well, I may as well try and get paid for it. Um, but no, I, I have... Uh, I've been very fortunate um, with my commentary career. I started reporting for the BBC back in 2012. It's crazy to think that it's been eight years and counting, um, starting in Radio Ulster. The first game they ever gave me was uh, my hometown team. So I think they thought, well, look, we'll, we'll ease him in here. He'll know the players, make it a bit easier for, um, it was just uh, live inserts into a match, so goal updates. And they were away to Ballymena United and uh, Carrick were uh, <laughs> duly beaten 3-0. And um, that was my first day reporting, trying not to sound miserable watching the team of support get trounced. But um, I think it's the only time I've ever sounded really happy when Carrick Rangers have lost, just because it was a dream to be um, on the airwaves with the BBC and doing something like that, because I'd been knocking at the door for a while. I'd won a talent search in 2010 um, and was named BBC Sports Young Commentator of the Year. And got to work at what was then called the Mel Cup, now called Super Cup NI, but it's a tournament that so many famous footballers have played in. You know, the class of '92 are the ones that we always hear about, but you know, Marcus Rashford and, and everybody in between have been there. And um, that was where I, I kind of made a bit of a name for myself. And then uh, a little bit down the road, thankfully, the BBC started getting me into the, the football reporting. And um, it was a busy year because 2012 was also the year um, that I got a job at Lisburn's 98 FM and I went in there to be honest uh, thinking I was going to be a volunteer I was quickly made an intern I thought well brilliant this is great then I was assistant manager of the station and now I'm the manager in a full-time uh, capacity so I juggle my BBC duties with managing a community radio station and with presenting a program on that station and with any other freelance commentary I may do. So, um, you know, sleep has been optional the last couple of years, I think it's fair to say, but um, what a what a brilliant thing to be able to pretend as a job. <laughs> it definitely is the, the best job in the world when you consider that if you can't play the game um, professionally, then then you've got to be working on it professionally. And and I can only imagine that how great it is to, to do that week in, week out. And, and just on, on, on Carrick Rangers, uh, you've talked about your passion there for the club. What are your favourite memories throughout the years supporting such a club? Do you know what? One of them actually was a commentary moment. Um, I was there for Radio Ulster and it was Balna Mallard were the uh, team visiting Carrick Rangers and 
I'll be honest, it was one of the worst matches ever. So it sounds like a ridiculous thing to pick as one of your favourite memories, but <laughs> bear with me. So it was uh, not a fantastic game. And Carrick Rangers looked like they're set for relegation, but they strike twice in stoppage time. The second goal being an overhead kick from a mid-30-year-old Portuguese player. I think Miguel Chinez was 36. Scores a bicycle kick deep in the injury time. Carrick went 2-1. And meanwhile, further down the country, Warren Point have a dubious penalty, to say the least, given against them. The keeper saves the penalty. The keeper saves the rebound. And the next rebound, I think it was, is converted. And ultimately, um, that kept Carrick Rangers up. And to have been there for half of that equation for what was two of the most frantic minutes I think it's the most dramatic end of the season at the bottom there has been in my, well, in my lifetime certainly no no question hands down but possibly for for you know several decades because everything that you know if you had those live uh, tables in play which some people love and some people hate they would have chopped and changed so many times between the 90th and 94th minute and eventually it ended up in Carrick Rangers surviving. But um, I, I think I went through the roof of the stand when he scored. Um, and it's one of those clips people still play back sometimes, which is really nice. But, um, you know, I apologise to any Ballon Mallard fans, but what a, you would need to have a heart of stone to not acknowledge that as a special, special moment when you think your club's dead and buried and relegated. And then somehow in stoppage time, they pull that out of the hat. Wow, great stuff. And in terms of the big characters throughout the years, who have been your, your favourite players and characters that you've, you've watched? Do you know what? I um, have to say Glenn Taggart um, ended up, I guess it's what happens when you're... Carrick's considered a large enough town, but in the context of the UK, it's not really, if that makes sense to you. Uh, Northern Ireland's not a particularly big country, um, word to the wise. But, you know, you, you go and watch... Glenn was, you know, Mr. One Club Man. And so he was playing for years for Carrick. And then it got to the stage when, um, you know, there was sort of local kickabouts. And you're going, oh, my goodness, the captain of my local team's down for a kickabout. And then you realise how you'll never make it as a pro because he's so much better than you are. Um, but Glenn Taggart, um, for me, is is that man. Brilliant servant to Carrick Rangers. Really good guy. Um, has moved into management now um, with PSNI. And I hope... Um, that he is uh, that he's successful in his career as a manager as he was as a player, a tremendous person. And like they've they've had so many different characters. Paul Heatley, um, when he was at Carrick Rangers, is one of my funniest interviews I've ever done because it was years ago and I was working for a different local radio station called Carrick Fergus FM, which was where I got into broadcasting when I was fifteen. But I worked there every it was on every summer and every Christmas time. Basically, it was a part time station that was seasonal and um we decided to do uh you know let's let's i mean not really stretch the imagination for me let's tie in more local sports uh well you know great excuse for me to meet footballers that i admired um so i, I got paul heatley in and because he was really green he'd never really done much media um he basically just slagged off his manager as a joke live on the radio and that was Stephen Small and I had to sort of steer him through an interview to try and make sure he still had a playing career by the end of our time in the broadcast and obviously he went on to great things and, and him and Stephen get on famously but that's just his sense of humour um, so yeah the, the club has brought me many uh, great memories down the years and, and like supporting any club that isn't a massive club 
Um, there's been some challenging times along the way as well. But um, the funny thing with Paul Heatley is uh, we were at a Northern Ireland uh, football writers dinner and I bumped into Paul Heatley at it one year, a few years ago. And uh, I said, look, Carrick Rangers are having a players versus supporters match. Do you fancy coming back to your old club, but as a supporter and we'll not tell anybody you're doing it? And he went, well, it's the middle of the summer, I suppose so. And uh, Michael Hughes, as in former Crystal Palace, etc., Northern Ireland International, West Ham, um, he was uh, part of the Carrick Rangers uh, setup. And Michael's turning out for Carrick Rangers plus the Carrick Rangers players. And little did he know he was going to be against Paul Heatley, one of the fastest players in the country. And uh, if you thought his tackles were spicy in his Premier League days, you should have seen that one. I bet it's just something that I imagine was was something that was was enjoyed by all who were there. Oh, with, do you know the that's the brilliant thing, and I think it's true certainly in the down the divisions in Scottish football as well. It's how close you are to the players. You just you cannot get that in the. I mean, this is the top flight of the Irish league. And you can have an affinity with those players. There's a different relationship here, which makes it so, so special. And it's not the same as just being a fan. And what what kind of brought it home to me is Paul came into the dressing room for Carrick. And, you know, bearing in mind, only I knew he was coming. And there's all these men of different shapes and sizes who were not even semi-professional players, put it that way. Not that I'm some Greek god, but there we are. Paul walks into the, the changing room and the looks on their faces, you'd have thought I'd have brought in a, a Stephen Gerrard or a Frank Lampard or a Roy King. You know, they're like, oh my God, it's Paul, wow, Paul Heatley's here. And then they were able to go up and talk to him. And Paul, you know, is a diminutive guy. He's, you know, he's not particularly tall, big character, but um, he is so kind of shy when all that happens. You sort of see him go, well, why, why do you want to know me? And I think that's what's really nice about our league is that you could have some of the best players in it still don't kind of realise that they are famous here. That that, that really sums up football and you're, you're absolutely spot on when it comes to, to that aspect, especially in, in lower league Scottish football and maybe even some of the, the smaller clubs in our top flight as well. The fact that it becomes more than, than just that traditional fan relationship because you can get to know players, they're happy to speak to you. And for me, that's what really makes football because as much as we all grew up loving the game and jumpers as goalposts. I think we all do fall in love with the characters of the game as well. And when they have a personality and they're willing to give you time as a fan or or, or even just as a neutral, it's just incredible. Yeah, it is. And look, we're all fans. And I think that that's the thing that you know, people sometimes say to me, how do you sound so excited? Well, because I am. Um, and if that makes me strange, so be it. But uh, it's either in you or it isn't. And I think... The, the, you know, the rare privilege, particularly in the times that we're in at the moment as a commentator, is that I'm getting to go to games where sadly supporters haven't been. Um, and uh, the responsibility there when it's radio commentary is, as always, to be your eyes, but especially now and um, when it's TV commentaries, as the last couple of games have done, have been. Um, I want you to feel like this is the next best thing. Of course, you'd want to be there. But if you can't, well, you're still going to feel a part of it through the match day experience that we try to bring you. And, um, you know, what a feeling that was when I was doing Corey and Ballymena, um, Irish Cup semi-final. There hasn't been any broadcast football in Northern Ireland since March. And then all of a sudden, all these months later, we have a you know this amazing week where it's going to be two Irish Cup semi-finals. And at the end of the week, we're going to get a final. And I'm the first game back. And uh, it's probably the most nervous 
I don't mind admitting it now, the most nervous I've been in a while because I thought everyone and their granny's going to watch this. And uh, so proved to be the case. <laughs> well, as you say, it's one of those things where because it was the return of football, all eyes and ears are, are on it. And, and as you say, it becomes a, a celebration of football for, for want of a better phrase because people can't go, but but they can tune in and, and feel a part of it with, with people like yourself at the helm. And the last major question I've got for you, Michael, is we've had a great discussion here about Northern Irish football. Um, we've talked about your career as well. What would you like to say to people that are listening to this who maybe aren't aware of watching Northern Irish domestic football and, and, and are maybe listening to this thinking, mm, I, I could be interested? Listen to the score. Um, <laughs> that's uh, my radio show that goes out every Friday and uh, it's also available as a podcast. So it's a nice, uh, easy lesson where we do interviews much like this, where you get a bit more time to engage with different characters from the local game. And uh, every now and again, we pull in some uh, big guests from elsewhere. But really what the mission statement of that show is, is that we want to champion the league I've felt so passionately about it since I got involved um all those years ago I still sort of go it feels like five minutes but yeah it is a few years now um and I just want people to to kind of see it for what it is really and see it uh, how I see it and I think if you listen to those different guests you'll start to go okay right I'll give this a watch do have a bit of fun with it pick a club even at random and and start watching highlights and start getting clued in. And if there's going to be more streams this season, um, you know, that might be your easy in then. And you might not be able to get as many matches as you normally would. So pick a team from Northern Ireland, start watching it and uh, and see where you go from there. I do not think you'll be disappointed. Um, it's a, a talented league with committed players where um, physicality is still allowed. How's that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely great. And, and that's something that I think... I always think about Scottish football, Northern Irish football, Welsh domestic football as well as has been has been real football in, in the sense that yes, of course, the elite level of football with VAR and, and all the finances that come with that, that's great. But at the same time, there's something to be said for traditional football where you can have contentious decisions that you can talk about in the pub or in your house afterwards, where you can get a, a big centre half who's who's going to make a, a flying challenge and get the crowd off their feet. So so for me, completely concur. I think people need to to, to give Northern Irish football a chance and really give give it a watch because there's some incredible drama and talent in that league. And just before you go, Michael, I also think that the listeners should should follow you. How can we follow you and, and follow the score and, and follow your commentaries as well? Yeah, uh, thank you. Um, you can search for me on Facebook. It's just Michael Clark and the, the page will come up there. M. Clark Show is my uh, username for everything. So M. Clark Show will get you Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. And um, you, can, you can also follow the score and I on Facebook and Twitter and wherever you get your podcasts from. And uh, don't be afraid to send me a message if you listen to the program or maybe you've got a question having listened to this. Um, do get in touch. I always try to get back to people. And if you're really shy, and this is, I might regret saying this, but my DMs are open. Oh, there we are. <laughs> that's, very, that's very brave of you. <laughs> Keep it PG. It's a family show. But um, you can get in touch with me there if maybe you have a question um, that I can answer for you. But it's such a wonderful product 
uh, in the right sense when I say the word product, because it isn't over commercialized. It is real. It's raw. It's physical. It's exciting. There are lots of goals. The people who are working at the clubs aren't just there for the money. They genuinely love the clubs that they're at. And there's so many so many incredible stories interwoven between it and rich histories to explore that um, I think if you're a true football fan, you would be doing yourself a disservice if you don't at least check out the Irish League. And if you want to check out the score and I, if you want to check out any of my work, I'd be happy to have you on board. But make sure you watch the league first and foremost. Brilliant. Michael, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Uh, lovely talking to you and uh, keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're doing brilliant things. Thank you very much. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll